In our latest sermon series, we've been exploring the opening chapters of the book of Genesis. This series tells us of God's good creation in the beginning and humankind's failure to align with God's purposes. The focus and title of the series are Living with Love and Loss because in Genesis we see the story of humanity as a story of being created in love but suffering great loss. Last week, our scripture and sermon was on Noah and the flood. In the scripture reading, we heard that God was heartbroken over humanity's universal captivity to sin and sent a flood to cover the earth, which destroyed almost everything that had breath in it, everything except Noah and his family, and a set of every kind of living creature who were put on board an ark that Noah had built. In examining this scripture, I spoke about the idea in the Bible stories like Noah's that we can see that the Bible treats sin as a universal condition. In other words, the whole of humanity finds itself in the state of captivity to sin. Now remember that sin is not a mere violation of a moral code or a deviation from conventional behavior or doing something commonly considered bad. Jesus himself did all of those things. He violated religious and moral codes by healing on the Sabbath and spending time with women and sinners. Instead, sin is a disruption or corruption of relationship with God, other people, or creation. Sin is the refusal to live in right relationship with God and others, the denial of God's grace, and the refusal to live in just and peaceful community with one another, as God calls us to do. In the Bible, sin is treated as a collective problem with collective repercussions in most of the books, from Genesis to the prophets to the Gospels. With the idea of collective sin in mind, last week I suggested that one insight from the story of Noah and the flood is that systemic sin creates devastating losses to humanity and to creation, and that one solution The start to the solution to the problems caused by systemic sin is repentance. That is, asking God to show us more clearly how universal our captivity to sin is and pray for the courage to begin to repent and to turn back to the Jesus of the Gospels. The Jesus of the Gospels demonstrated unconditional love of God and inclusive love of others. He had a shocking forgiveness of sinners, a solidarity with the poor, and he taught and enacted the coming kingdom of God, and his way is the way we are called to follow. So today we will be picking up on this theme of repentance, and our scripture reading will be from Genesis chapters 8 and 9. As always, with a text like Genesis 8 and 9 that is very familiar to many people, there will have been a variety of interpretations of the scripture over all the hundreds and thousands of years that has been told. There are more or less theologically correct or historically sound interpretations, but there is no single overarching best interpretation. So I'm using the lens of love and loss to ask the Spirit to help us discern what insight the text has for us about the human condition today. Additionally, hearing the scripture read may raise questions for you that I won't answer today because I've narrowed my focus, and that's okay. There's always room for more study and conversation. 
For today, I've narrowed my focus to two points. One, Noah repents in the story and God accepts humanity as we are. Two, the covenant that God makes is with all creation. All of us and all creation are under God's covenantal care. Last week, we left Noah and company on the ark in the middle of the water. This week, we will hear what happens as the waters begin to recede. As you listen to the reading, listen for the themes of repentance and acceptance and for God's universal covenantal care. Let us listen as the scriptures are read. Today's reading comes from the book of Genesis, chapter 8, verses 1 through 22, and chapter 9, verses 8 through 17. God remembered Noah, all those alive, and all the animals with him in the ark. God sent a wind over the earth so that the waters receded. The springs of the deep sea and the skies closed up. The skies held back the rain. The waters receded gradually from the earth. After 150 days, the waters decreased. And in the seventh month, on the 17th day, the ark came to rest on the Ararat Mountains. The waters decreased gradually until the 10th month. And on the first day of the 10th month, the mountain peaks appeared. After 40 days, Noah opened the window of the ark that he had made. He sent out a raven, and it flew back and forth until the waters over the entire earth had dried up. Then he sent out a dove to see if the waters on all the fertile land had subsided. But the dove found no place to set its foot. It returned to him in the ark, since water still covered the entire earth. Noah stretched out his hand, took it, and brought it back into the ark. He waited seven more days and sent the dove out from the ark again. The dove came back to him in the evening, grasping a torn olive leaf in its beak. Then Noah knew that the waters were subsiding from the earth. He waited seven more days and sent out the dove, but it didn't come back to him again. In Noah's 600 first year, on the first day of the first month, the waters dried up from the earth. Noah removed the ark's hatch and saw that the surface of the fertile land had dried up. In the second month, on the 27th day, the earth was dry. God spoke to Noah, Go out of the ark, you and your wife, your sons and your sons' wives with you. Bring out with you all the animals of every kind, birds, livestock, everything crawling on the ground, so that they may populate the earth, be fertile and multiply on the earth. So Noah went out of the ark with his sons, his wife, and his son's wives. All the animals, all the livestock, all the birds, and everything crawling on the ground came out of the ark by their families. Noah built an altar to the Lord. He took some of the clean large animals and some of the clean birds and placed entirely burned offerings on the altar. The Lord smelled the pleasing scent and the Lord thought to himself, I will not curse the fertile land anymore because 
of human beings since the ideas of the human mind are evil from their youth. I will never again destroy every living thing as I have done. As long as the earth exists, seed time and harvest, cold and hot, summer and autumn, day and night will not cease. God said to Noah and to his sons with him, I am now setting up my covenant with you, with your descendants, and with every living being with you, with the birds, with the large animals, and with all the animals of the earth, leaving the ark with you. I will set up my covenant with you so that never again will all life be cut off by floodwaters. There will never again be a flood to destroy the earth. God said, This is the symbol of the covenant that I am drawing up between me and you and every living thing with you on behalf of every future generation. I have placed my bow in the clouds. It will be the symbol of the covenant between me and the earth. When I bring clouds over the earth and the bow appears in the clouds, I will remember the covenant between me and you and every living being among all the creatures. Floodwaters will never again destroy all creatures. The bow will be in the clouds, and upon seeing it, I will remember the enduring covenant between God and every living being of all the earth's creatures. God said to Noah, This is the symbol of the covenant that I have set up between me and all creatures on earth. May God bless the reading and hearing of this word. I'm recording this on Saturday, but the weather forecast says that we are in for really heavy rain on Sunday, which I know we're all grateful for. But for now, think for a minute about summertime. The smell of barbecue on the grill wafting through the air, a pleasing scent evoking good times, friends and family getting together, eating delicious food and spending time together. We even had hot dogs on the church lawn this summer, which was really fun. Now that the weather has turned cold and rainy, we are out of the season of barbecues and cookouts, but I'm connecting to summertime cookouts to the text. I'm connecting summertime cookouts to the text because every time I smell barbecue in the air, I think of biblical passages like the one in Genesis 8 that we just heard where the Lord smells the pleasing odor of the burnt offerings, which in the case of Noah are essentially roasted meat. You see, in the scripture for today, God remembered Noah and all of the animals and the water abated. Noah waited some time until he could confirm that the land was dry and it was safe to disembark. God tells him it is safe to leave the ark and that everyone should exit and be fruitful and multiply. Then Noah builds an altar to the Lord and makes a sacrifice of all the animals. And the Lord smells the pleasing odor and says in his heart, I will never again curse the ground because of humankind, for the inclination of the human heart is evil from youth, nor will I ever again destroy every living creature as I have done. It may be a little odd and very anthropomorphic to think of God smelling something like roasting meat and being moved by it. 
But this way of thinking is part of how the ancient Israelites thought about God. And that is where this scripture comes from, from the people of ancient Israel. And other ancient peoples thought about their deities in this way as well. Many ancient religions, including the ancient Israelite religion, had a sacrificial system as part of their religious beliefs and practices. The sacrificial system was understood as offering something of value to God for a variety of reasons. And the Bible tells us that both grain and meat offerings were made. In the world of the early books of the Bible, these sacrifices had several functions, including, but not limited to, to appease God, to thank God, or to try to motivate God to do something. On another level, the sacrificial animals and other offerings were considered to be a meal for God presented on the altar, which served as a table. The choicest portions, that is, the fattiest and easiest to burn, were given up to God, who smelled the pleasing odor, while the worshippers might eat the other portions. The sacrifice and eating of the meat may have been seen as a shared meal between God and the worshippers, basically a kind of communion. Though a world where the religious sacrifice of animals is common may seem foreign to us, we can understand Noah's intent. Noah was communicating with God. Noah may have been thanking God for the safety of his family or asking God for forgiveness. Noah was offering up many valuable animals, which may have been a way of recognizing that all those animals belong to God in the first place. Noah may also have been having communion with God, just like we do when we eat the bread and drink the cup. In any case, after the flood, as Noah's first act on dry land, Noah was turning towards God. He was repenting, which literally means to turn towards. So Noah repents and makes a fresh start with God. And does it work? The Bible tells us that God's heart is moved by Noah's sacrifice, but God's mind isn't really changed here. God still thinks humanity is evil, according to the scripture. But God promises not to destroy life again and to preserve the earth's cycles and seasons. Again, this may seem strange or uncomfortable thinking about Noah's sacrifice and God's viewing the inclination of the human heart as evil, but promising not to flood the world again. God's promise not to destroy every living creature is written about in Genesis in a way and in a context that might feel far away from us. But there are theological similarities and consistencies in this ancient Noah story that do connect to us today. In the theology of our church, the Presbyterian Church, we confess and believe that all people are sinners. That means we all have the capacity to be inclined towards evil and are incapable of doing good alone without God's help. Remember that sin is the disruption or corruption of relationship with God, others, and creation, and that sin corrodes all the systems of our lives. The problem of systemic sin is a problem in the systems and the patterns of behavior that were built before most of us. But individual people make up the systems, and we participate in them now. We have to. 
We have to have systems to organize our lives together. We need government and education and health care and food. There's no way around it. We are built to live in community with one another. So the solution isn't to withdraw into the illusion of self-sufficiency or isolationism. When we repent, we confess that God knows our sins and that God in God's grace, despite our sins, forgives us and redeems us. Therefore, we individually, each one of us, without fear, can ask God to change our hearts and our individual behavior. And then when we as individuals can collectively come together, we can make change in the world. That change can come through us as we seek to move closer to living in ways that honor the Jesus of the Gospels. The Gospels tell us that Jesus loved God unconditionally and was inclusive in his love of others. He had solidarity with the poor and the outcast. He forgave sinners. And with his teaching and actions, he enacted the promised kingdom of God. And it is that way that we are called to follow. The idea that God redeems us and changes us individually and that individual change impacts us collectively brings me to my second point. God's covenant in Genesis 9 is with all of creation. God establishes a covenant with Noah and all of Noah's descendants and with every living creature. God makes an everlasting covenantal promise with all of the earth and sets a rainbow in the sky as a reminder. Notice that this covenantal promise includes everybody. There's no distinction made between believers and non-believers. There's not even a distinction made between humans and other living creatures. All are covered by God's care. Genesis 8 and 9 are relevant to us today in several ways. First, like Noah, we must repent. Repentance or turning towards God involves opening our hearts to God's activity in our lives and allowing ourselves to be changed by God's presence. Noah's sacrifice and God's smelling the sweet odor of roasting meat might seem strange to us, but let's think about it as them sharing a meal together. There's an intimacy of relationship between God and Noah. Intimacy in relationships takes work and daily effort. And there's no difference in our relationship with God. It's not different for us to want to be intimate with God as we are with other people. But God's always there. But where are we? Usually busy doing other stuff. Turning towards God can take a variety of forms, including prayer, Bible study, and participating in worship, and sharing in the life of the church together. It also may take the form of asking God to open our eyes to see where we are contributing to and participating in systems of sin in the world or systems that are infected by sin in the world, really, and praying for ways to change. Turning towards God must be a meaningful part of everyday life. Second, like Noah and the sacrifice that he makes, we too are called to offer something of value in thanksgiving to God for God's grace in our lives. In our lives, we won't be building altars and making animal sacrifices, but the intention is the same, to offer a sacrifice that is meaningful in a way 
that helps us feel that we have a closer relationship with God. Offering ourselves, uh, offering of ourselves to God can also take a variety of forms according to our gifts and skills and may include volunteering our time at church or serving in other places in the community that care for our neighbors. And financial offerings specifically to the ministry of the church as well as financial offerings in other ways towards organizations and activities that seek to promote the well-being of others and the movement towards justice and peace in the world in a way that aligns with the ministry of Jesus. Finally, recognizing that the covenant in Genesis 9 is a covenant with all people and all creation gives us a basis for a respectful relationship with all people and the earth that is rooted in our faith. In this covenant, there is no me versus you or us versus them, only unity under the rainbow of God's grace. God's covenantal care for all is consistent with the life and ministry of Christ, who taught us to turn back to God and to love our neighbors and our enemies. There is no me versus you, us versus them, as the Apostle Paul said in his letter to the church in Galatia, there is neither Jew nor Greek, there is neither slave nor free, there is, nor is there male and female, for we are all one in Christ Jesus. The good news of the story of Genesis 8 and 9 is the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Thanks be to God. Amen.